0: Chapter Fourteen of the Daffodil Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Daffodil Mystery by Edgar Wallace. Chapter Fourteen The Search of Milburgh's Cottage. Mr. Milburgh had a little house in one of the industrial streets of Camden Town. It was a street made up for the most part of blank walls, pierced at intervals with great gates, through which one could procure at times a view of gaunt factories and smoky-looking chimney-stacks. Mr. Milber's house was the only residence in the road, if one excepted the quarters of caretakers and managers, and it was agreed by all who saw his tiny domain that Mr. Milber had a good landlord. The house was a detached cottage in about half an acre of ground, a one-story building monopolizing the space which might have been occupied by factory extension. Both the factory to the right and the left had made generous offers to acquire the ground, but Mr. Milber's landlord had been adamant. There were people who suggested that Mr. Milber's landlord was Mr. Milber himself, but how could that be? Mr. Milber's salary was something under four hundred pounds a year. "'and the cottage site was worth at least four thousand pounds. "'Canvey Cottage, as it was called, "'stood back from the road behind a lawn innocent of flowers, "'and the lawn itself was protected from intrusion "'by high iron railings, "'which Mr. Milburgh's landlord had had erected at considerable cost. "'To reach the house it was necessary to pass through an iron gate "'and traverse a stone-flagged path to the door of the cottage. "'On the night when Tarling of Scotland Yard "'was the victim of a murderous assault,' Mr. Milburgh unlocked the gate, and passed through, locking and double-locking the gate behind him. He was alone, and as was his wont, he was whistling a sad little refrain, which had neither beginning nor end. He walked slowly up the stone pathway, unlocked the door to his cottage, and stood only a moment on the doorstep to survey the growing sickness of the night, before he closed and bolted the door, and switched on the electric light. He was in a tiny hallway— "'plainly but nicely furnished. "'The note of luxury was struck by the zorn etchings which hung on the wall, "'and which Mr. Milburgh stopped to regard approvingly. "'He hung up his coat and hat, slipped off the galoshes he was wearing, "'for it was wet underfoot, "'and passing through a door which opened from the passage, "'came to his living-room. "'The same simple note of furniture and decoration was observable here. "'The furniture was good, the carpet under his feet thick and luxurious.' He snaked down another switch, and an electric radiator glowed in the fireplace. Then he sat down at the big table, which was the most conspicuous article of furniture in the room. It was practically covered with orderly little piles of paper, most of them encircled with rubber bands. He did not attempt to touch or read them, but sat looking moodily at his blotting-pad, preoccupied and absent. Presently he rose with a little grunt and, crossing the room, unlocked a very commonplace and old-fashioned cupboard, the top of which served as a sideboard. From the cupboard he took a dozen little books, and carried them to the table. They were of uniform size, and each bore the figures of a year. They appeared to be, and indeed were, diaries, but they were not Mr. Milburgh's diaries. One day he chanced to go into Thornton Lyne's room at the stores, and had seen these books arrayed on a steel shelf of Lyne's private safe, the proprietor's room overlooked the ground floor of the stores, and Thornton Lyne, at the time was visible to his manager, and could not under any circumstances surprise him, so Mr. Milber had taken out one volume, and read, with more than ordinary interest, the somewhat frank and expansive diary which Thornton Lyne had kept. He had only read a few pages on that occasion, but later he had an opportunity of perusing the whole year's record, and had absorbed a great deal of information which might have been useful to him in the future. Had not Thornton Lyne met his untimely end at the hands of an unknown murderer on the day when Thornton Lyne's body was discovered in Hyde Park with a woman's nightdress wrapped around the wound in his breast, Mr Milber had, for reasons of expediency, and assisted by a duplicate key of Lyne's safe, removed those diaries to a safer place. They contained a great deal that was unpleasant for Mr Milber, particularly the current diary. For Thornton Lyne had set down not only his experiences, but his daily happenings, his thoughts, poetical and otherwise, and had stated very exactly and in libelous terms his suspicions of his manager. The diary provided Mr Milburgh with a great deal of very interesting reading matter, and now he turned to the page where he had left off the night before and continued his study. It was a page easy to find, because he had thrust between the leaves a thin envelope of foreign make. Containing certain slips of paper, and as he took out his improvised bookmark, a thought seemed to strike him, and he felt carefully in his pocket. He did not discover the thing for which he was searching, and with a smile he laid the envelope carefully on the table and went on at the point where his studies had been interrupted. Lunched at the London hotel and dozed away the afternoon. Weather fearfully hot. Had arranged to make a call upon a distant cousin, a man named Tarling. "'who was in the police force at Shanghai, but too much of a fag. "'Spent evening at Chu Han's dancing-hall. "'Got very friendly with a pretty little Chinese girl who spoke Pidgin English. "'I'm seeing her to-morrow at Ling Fu's. "'She is called the little Narcissus. "'I called her my little daffodil.' "'Mr. Milbur stopped in his reading. "'Little daffodil,' he repeated, "'then looked at the ceiling and pinched his thick lips.' "'Little daffodil!' he said again, and a big smile dawned on his face. "'He was still engaged in reading when a bell shrilled in the hall. "'He rose to his feet and stood listening, and the bell rang again. "'He switched off the light, pulled aside the thick curtain which hid the window, "'and peered out through the fog. "'He could just distinguish in the light of the street-lamp two or three men standing at the gate. "'He replaced the curtain, turned up the light again, "'took the books in his arm and disappeared with them into the corridor. "'The room at the back was his bedroom, and into this he went, "'making no response to the repeated jingle of the bell for fully five minutes. "'At the end of that time he reappeared, but now he was in his pyjamas, "'over which he wore a heavy dressing-gown. "'He unlocked the door, and shuffled in the slippers down the stone pathway to the gate. "'Who's that?' he asked. "'Tarling, you know me,' said a voice. "'Mr. Tarling?' said "Milburgh, in surprise. "'Really, this is an unexpected pleasure. "'Come in, come in, gentlemen.' "'Open the gate,' said Tarling briefly. "'Excuse me while I go and get the key,' said Milburgh. "'I didn't expect visitors at this hour of the night.' He went into the house, took a good look round his room, and then reappeared, taking the key from the pocket of his dressing-gown. It had been there all the time, if truth be told— but Mr. Milber was a cautious man and took few risks. Tarling was accompanied by Inspector Whiteside and another man, whom Wilbur rightly supposed was a detective. Only Tarling and the inspector accepted his invitation to step inside; the third man remaining on guard at the gate. Milber led the way to his cosy sitting room. I have been in bed some hours, and I'm sorry to have kept you so long. Your radiator is still warm," said Tarling quietly. "'stooping to feel the little stove. "'Mr. Milburgh chuckled. "'Isn't that clever of you to discover that?' he said admiringly. "'The fact is, I was so sleepy when I went to bed several hours ago "'that I forgot to turn the radiator off, "'and it was only when I came down to answer the bell "'that I discovered I had left it switched on.' "'Tarling stooped and picked the butt-end of a cigar out of the hearth. "'It was still alight. "'You've been smoking in your sleep, Mr. Milburgh." "'he said dryly. "'No, no,' said the airy Mr. Milburgh. "'I was smoking that when I came downstairs to let you in. "'I instinctively put a cigar in my mouth "'the moment I wake up in the morning. "'It is a disgraceful habit, "'and really is one of my few vices,' he admitted. "'I threw it down when I turned out the radiator.' Tarling smiled. "'Won't you sit down?' said Milburgh, "'seating himself in the least comfortable of the chairs.' "'You see,' his smile was apologetic as he waved his hand to the table, "'the work is frightfully heavy now that poor Mr. Lyne is dead. "'I am obliged to bring it home, and I can assure you, Mr. Tarling, "'that there are some nights when I work till daylight, "'getting things ready for the auditor.' "'Do you ever take exercise?' asked Tarling innocently. "'Little night walks in the fog, for the benefit of your health?' "'A puzzled frown gathered on Milburgh's face.' "'Exercise, Mr. Tarling?' he said with an air of mystification. "'I don't quite understand you. "'Naturally I shouldn't walk out on a night like this. "'What an extraordinary fog for this time of the year! "'Do you know Paddington at all?' "'No,' said Mr. Milburgh, "'except that there is a station there which I sometimes use. "'But perhaps you will explain to me the meaning of this visit?' "'The meaning is,' said Tarling shortly— "'that I have been attacked tonight by a man of your build and height, "'who fired twice at me at close quarters. "'I have a warrant—' "'Mr. Moe's eyes narrowed—' "'I have a warrant to search this house.' "'For what?' demanded Milba boldly. "'For a revolver or an automatic pistol, and anything else I can find.' Milba rose. "'You are at liberty to search the house from end to end,' he said. "'Happily it is a small one, as my salary does not allow of an expensive establishment.' "'Do you live here alone?' asked Tarling. "'Quite,' replied Milburgh. "'A woman comes in at eight o'clock to-morrow morning to cook my breakfast and make the place tidy, but I sleep here by myself.' "'I am very much hurt,' he was going on. "'You will be hurt much worse,' said Tarling dryly, and proceeded to the search. "'It proved to be a disappointing one, for there was no trace of any weapon.' And certainly no trace of the little red slips which he had expected to find in Milburgh's possession, for he was not searching for the man who had assailed him, but for the man who had killed Thornton Lyne. He came back to the little sitting room where Milburgh had been left with the inspector, and apparently he was unruffled by his failure. Now, Mister Milburgh," he said brusquely, "I want to ask you: Have you ever seen a piece of paper like this before?" He took a slip from his pocket and spread it on the table. Milber looked hard at the Chinese characters on the Crimson Square, and then nodded. "'You have?' said Tarling, in surprise. "'Yes, sir,' said Milber, complacently. "'I should be telling an untruth if I said I had not. "'Nothing is more repugnant to me than to deceive anybody.' "'That I can imagine,' said Tarling. "'I am sorry you are sarcastic, Mr. Tarling,' said the reproachful Milber. "'But I assure you that I hate and loathe an untruth.' "'Where have you seen these papers?' "'On Mr. Lyne's desk,' was the surprising answer. "'On Lyne's desk?' Milburn nodded. "'The late Mr. Thornton Lyne,' he said, "'came back from the East with a great number of curios, "'and amongst them there were a number of slips of paper "'covered with Chinese characters similar to this. "'I do not understand Chinese,' he said, "'because I have never had occasion to go to China. "'The characters may have been different one from the other,' "'but to my unsophisticated eye they all look alike. "'You've seen these slips on Lyne's desk?' said Tarling. "'Then why did you not tell the police before? "'You know that the police attach a great deal of importance "'to the discovery of one of these things in the dead man's pocket.' "'Mr. Milburn nodded. "'It is perfectly true that I did not mention the fact to the police,' he said. "'But you understand, Mr. Tarling, that I was very much upset by the sad occurrence, "'which drove everything else out of my mind.' "'It would have been quite possible that you would have found one or two of these strange inscriptions in this very house,' he smiled in the detective's face. "'Mr. Lyne was very fond of distributing the curios he brought from the East to his friends,' he went on. "'He gave me that dagger you see hanging on the wall, which he bought at some outlandish place in his travels. He may have given me a sample of these slips. I remember his telling me a story about them, which I cannot for the moment recall.' He would have continued retailing reminiscences of his late employer, but Tarling cut him short, and with a curt good-night withdrew. Milburgh accompanied him to the front gate, and locked the door upon the three men, before he went back to his sitting-room, smiling quietly to himself. "'I am certain that the man was Milburgh," said Tarling. "'I am as certain as that I am standing here.' "'Have you any idea why he should want to out you?' asked Whiteside." "'None in the world,' replied Tarling. Evidently my assailant was a man who had watched my movements, and had probably followed the girl and myself to the hotel in a cab. When I disappeared inside, he dismissed his own, and then took the course of dismissing my cab, which he could easily do by paying the man his fare and sending him off. A cabman would accept that dismissal without suspicion. He then waited for me in the fog, and followed me until he got me into a quiet part of the road— where he first attempted to sandbag and then to shoot me. "'But why?' asked Whiteside again. "'Suppose Milburn knew something about this murder, which is very doubtful. What benefit would it be to him to have you put out of the way?' "'If I could answer that question,' replied Tarling grimly, "'I could tell you who killed Thornton Lyne.'" End of chapter 14